Welcome into the NHL at the Rink podcast, our last podcast before the holiday break, I guess you will. As always, to my right, Sean Rourke. Sean, have you done your holiday shopping yet? Of course not. Yeah, well, you, you know, there's you can go on Amazon online and do these things. I, I'm all done. Well, congratulations. Well, I should say, let me let me stress. We are all done. <laughs> yes, my wife's done most of the shopping for us. What do you want for Christmas or the holidays? Oh, it's for Hanukkah. Let's get it right. All right. Nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, what do I want? I know you celebrate Christmas. <laughs> I want a really good podcast. I want this to be a great episode, and I think it's going to be. We got Arizona Coyotes GM John Chayka on. That's a good one. Yeah. Taylor Hall trade and with the future of the Coyotes. And Mike Morial from NHL.com, our colleague, covers the Devils and the World Juniors. But let's get right into the Coyotes because obviously everybody knows it. It's the big news of the week. Taylor Hall is now a member of the Arizona Coyotes, traded from the New Jersey Devils on Monday, played Tuesday night, had an assist on the game winner for Oliver Ekman Larson. What are your thoughts on Taylor Hall now in a Kachina jersey? I think it's awesome. First, I want to say since I've become co-host, we've had news every week. It's amazing. I, take the, I try to take notes diligently for this podcast, and as I take notes, something else happens. Yeah. Like another thing. It's amazing. It just never it's been, stops. It's been a good three, four-week run. But look, Taylor Hall in the desert is awesome, right? Yeah. The Arizona Coyotes being good and being on the national radar is great. They've been building for this for years. They finally said, that's it. We're there. We're on the precipice of something good. We're in first place in the division. The division looks like it could be open, and we're going to make this move. Think about it. They have two of the elite offensive players in the league now in Phil Kessel, who they acquired over the summer, and Taylor Hall. When's the last time you said that about the Coyotes? Right. Uh, maybe never. Even when they were good, when they got to the conference final in 2011, it was all defense and goaltending. And that's still their foundation. But now they got some guys that can score if they can figure it out. You know, and I want to give John Chaika, and we're going to have him on, I'm going to give him a lot of credit, Pierre, because he took some hits. He took over as the youngest GM in the league, and he took hits along the way as he's trying to build this team in a slow process through the draft with prospects, sprinkling in a trade here and there to get veteran presence. And without doing that, without the patience to do that, he doesn't have the wherewithal to make this trade. He doesn't have the assets to make this trade. They don't give up in this trade. Barrett Hayton, who's probably their top prospect, and Victor Soderstrom, who's probably their number two prospect. Kevin Ball's a good prospect. He goes to the Devils. But they didn't give up their first or second prospect. And they didn't because their prospect base is deep enough to where other teams respect it. And Ray Shiro, the general manager of the New Jersey Devils, says, okay, I, if I can't get these guys... Well, your secondary ones are pretty good, too. I'm going to get one or two of those guys, and you toss in your first-round pick. And Chayka allowed this to happen through his patience. Well, you would hope their prospect pool would be good. They've had some some pretty good kicks at the can by not being good for a long time. So, But, look, let's look at what's going to happen now. right? You have, you have Hall and you have Kessel on your first line. Yep, for now. Right. For now. You have Derek Stepan as maybe your third-line center. Uh, this is a pretty good team that hasn't been a good team for a long time. The, uh, exactly right. And with depth scoring now, that's what ta- – that as good as Taylor Hall is, and I, he's a driver. Like he, I love the way he skates, and he, he brings the puck up the ice, and, and, and he just pushes the defense back. But with Taylor Hall, the, the addition – pushes guys down. Clayton Keller's now on your second line, right? Yeah. Like you said, Derek Stepan is now on your third line. Like it just gives them the that depth scoring and 
And Nick Schmaltz is another guy that I really like. He's playing on your second line. Soderberg, who's a good defensively conscious player, two-way player, he's your second or third line center, depending on where you want to step on. Their scoring depth has gotten so much better with the addition of this top line score. And that's the big need for this team. You look at it, they're last in the or 30th in the league in goals in the third period. When you really need to, to win a game sometimes, especially with the way the Coyotes play tight games, you need offense in the third period. They're 30th in the league with 23 goals in the third period as we record this. Only team worse is the New Jersey Devils. Taylor Hall has already shown his ability to get them a goal in the third period. Yeah, he 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 made that play with his hustle coming down the wing. But to me, the thing that I'm really interested in seeing is what happens with Phil Kessel now. He hasn't been everything that's been advertised with Arizona so far this year. He's not playing poorly, but he hasn't been able to get on a run like he was able to get on in Pittsburgh. Does Hall do that for him? He's playing with an elite player now like he did in Pittsburgh. And when you play teams that aren't as deep defensively, that primary defensive guy the first person he's thinking about is Kessel when they play Arizona. Now he's kind of divided. Do I take Kessel? Do I take Do I take Hall? What do I do? I really want to see what happens with Phil Kessel now. Yeah, and I think you already saw it at least in the first game, and we'll see more of it. I think that chemistry coming, those guys being able to find each other, especially on the power play with you know passes through the seam, whatever it may be. That they have that ability to make those plays and and. No offense to everybody else on the Coyotes, but I don't know that they had another guy who could make that play with Phil Kessel. Now they do in Taylor Hall. But what about the Devils? Where do they go from here now? You've got a couple of other UFAs to consider. Wayne Simmons, Andy Green, uh, certainly Sammy Vatanen. I don't know that there's a market for Andy Green. I don't think you want to trade him. But w- where do you think the Devils go? I think they got to keep doing what they're doing. they got to move guys. they got to get new guys in. they got to start the whole thing over. We're going to talk with Mike Moriel, who covers the Devils and World Juniors, a little bit later. But first, let's talk about the trade market. Now that the big domino in Taylor Hall's fallen, what happens next? You know, I look at this market, and to me it's going to be stagnant for a while. How do you, as in good conscience as a GM, say, I'm going to move these guys. I'm only 10 points out. The St. Louis Blues were more points out than that. Now, look, everybody's not going to be the St. Louis Blues, but if you run a team, that's what you think about your team. You're you're one step away. You're one hot goaltender away from being in the playoffs. Uh, I get that. I get the Blues effect. I do. Um, But I think teams have to be honest with the situation. The Blues were a team that were supposed to be a Stanley Cup contender entering last season. They weren't. They were struggling, but they still had a lot of really good pieces in place. And... Doug Armstrong believed in those pieces and kept with it. Now, if you look at other teams, the Ottawa Senators, nobody was looking at them as a playoff team. Now, they've been better, I think, than some people would have imagined. I thought they would be. But if you can get a good trade for Jean-Gabriel Pajot and you're not going to re-sign him, you got to do it as soon as possible, I think. And if you're a team looking to acquire him, like Arizona did with Taylor Hall, why wouldn't you want to get him in for 45 games or 40 games instead of – 20 games you know you have that opportunity same with the Detroit Red Wings that we know they're not a contender but there are guys there with the Red Wings that you can move just easier guys to move to 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 start that market going a little bit it's those types of teams the Chicago Blackhawks are probably entering that discussion as well those types of teams be honest with yourselves uh, where you really are right now and if you can maximize your return at this point versus you know rushing at the deadline I think you have to do that yeah I I guess but you just mentioned those teams, and other than Pajot, what's there to trade, right? Like yeah. Detroit doesn't have a ton. Is there a market for Andy Green? Is there a market for Trevor Daly? What are you going to do in Chicago? Like, oh, let's move one of the goalies. You can't really move Corey Crawford, right? I mean, no. he's the guy there. He's won all those cups. If he wants to stay in Chicago, I think he stays in Chicago. 
And see, I think you can move him. See, maybe uh, he's got one year left on his deal. Laner's got a one year deal, and Laner may be the future there. He's younger, and if team if a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs comes calling for Corey Crawford. How do you not listen if you're the Chicago Blackhawks? You well, have to. I would like to see the math that's going to be done. Well, that, I would like that's to see the math that's yes, going to be sure. done for any contender to come calling for either Laner or Crawford. Yeah. They keep saying, oh, Robin Laner's out there at $6 million. <laughs> any team that has serious Stanley Cup aspirations should go get him. Any team that has serious Stanley Cup aspirations does not have whatever portion of $6 million laying around for the rest of the season. They're going to have to take away to get. So... Do you know who doesn't need $6 million to get? Ilya Kovalchuk. All you do, and you don't have to give anybody up to get him. You just have to give up a little bit of money to get him. He is now an unrestricted free agent after having his contract terminated with the Los Angeles Kings. And he's out there. What do you think, Sean? Is there a future still for Ilya Kovalchuk? No, I don't think in the National Hockey League. I think he's going to go back to the... Well, there's a future, obviously, but I mean... He's going to go back to the KHL. I I just look, you know, you look at a team, you know, we've talked about it off the air. The the Boston Bruins could use some secondary scoring. They could use a little help on their power play for sure. But I I think you look at that marriage in in L.A. and you see the way it ended and how horrible it was. If you Again, if you have serious Stanley Cup aspirations, do you want to bring that kind of drama into your room? See, I don't think Kovalchuk is drama. That, that's the difference, I think. I think Kovalchuk is a team guy. I, I witnessed it in New Jersey. I, I think he is. He wants to win, and he's a team guy. And, and if you look at it, there's, there's two aspects here. One, the league has gotten intensely young and fast. Kovalchuk is neither young nor fast. So that's a huge mark against him. And, yeah, what happened with the Kings wasn't good. But last season with L.A., he had 16 goals in 64 games. That's a 20-goal pace. If you put him in the right situation, the right setup man in a middle six role, second or third line on your maybe on your first power play, certainly on your second power play. He's a guy. If you set him up, he's still got that shot. That shot hasn't aged. He still can put it, put the puck in the net. And if you just don't ask that much more from him than that, I think he can be a valuable guy. Now you talk about the Bruins as we record this. Nothing's happened with Kovalchuk, but you sign him now. You still have two months to figure it out before the deadline if he's a fit. Yeah, I guess, but to me, the Kings are stylistically very similar to the Bruins, and he didn't work in Los Angeles. So if I'm if I'm the GM there, I'm not making that move. All right, well, we're getting a GM on the line right now. So we've got Arizona Coyotes GM John Chica, a huge newsmaker in the league, in the industry, this week with the Taylor Hall trade. John, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I see this trade go down, and the first thing I think about is, I'm not all that surprised that the Arizona Coyotes got Taylor Hall, and I would have been a year ago. Are you changing the narrative and you know about the Coyotes around the National Hockey League about making big plays for big time players? Yeah, we believe so. Um, you know, not 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 just making you know uh, moves for players, but but just building something here that we think can be a you know sustainable contender. So, you know, sometimes you got to make trades. Sometimes we've had you know good picks and Chikrin and Keller and those types of guys and. Uh, you know, we've got Alrek and Larson here, continues to lead the way, and our goaltending's been strong. So, uh, you know, together with our coaching staff, we've kind of built things up here piece by piece and tried to build a culture and try to build a way of doing things. And, um, yeah, now we're getting some guys. we got Kessel, we got Hall, some guys that could come in and break a game open for us. So, yeah, at one point we were uh, a team that was, you know, just trying to survive, uh, find our way through the desert out here. Uh, you know, fan base continues to grow, hockey's, Alive and well in the desert, and uh, you know, to get a player like Taylor Hall, we thought was just an uh, incredible opportunity to, you know, kind of reward our fans. Um, 
you know, give them an opportunity to see one of the top players in the league night in and night out and and uh, you know, get excited about coming to the rink and, and hopefully have a long run here. Clearly, timing timing is very important in this so that Taylor was available, but it seems to me the timing on your end also was important. First in the division, you look around and you say, hey, you know, you said it in your press conference, why not us? But how, how much did where you guys were at now have to do with the ability to do this? Yeah, obviously, uh, unique opportunity. Uh, like you said, the timing was... Uh, was everything um you know i think uh a couple of years ago not only would we not have the team to probably add the player um you know we didn't really have the you know the prospect capital and draft capital in order to do this you know we still feel like uh even though we've, we've given up some future assets to get to get taylor uh we still feel like we've got a lot of really good young prospects you know we got the barrett haydens the victor soderstrom's jan yannick uh you know was one of the top players in the ohl uh, matthias michelli's one of the top players in uh in the Finnish Elite League, and we got two two goalies down in Tucson who are having uh, incredible years. So, yeah, we got a lot of pieces, and uh, that kind of allowed us to to make a move for for now. And uh, obviously, Taylor's coming in, and, and he's a you know star in his prime. Uh, you know, a, a rare kind of Hart Trophy winner that that has become available, and and those things don't often happen. So, so yeah, together with you know, like we said, uh, we, we've traded for some established players. We've drafted and developed some young guys that, that we think are starting to come into their own now and playing really well, and the Chickrens and Kellers and the Vorax and Krauses and Fishers. And these guys are really kind of pushing the, the things forward for us. So, yeah, to get a player like Taylor, timing-wise, we thought was perfect. You know, and, and I was impressed, John, that you weren't able you were able to make this move and you didn't have to give up Hayton or Soderstrom. Was that the line in the sand for you, that these guys were untouchable? Was there anything that would have allowed you to go over that line to – maybe trade one of those guys yeah i think just contractually uh where taylor is at you know it would have been tough to uh move certain pieces and yeah yeah barrett and victor and like uh, those other guys i mentioned you know those guys are a big part of our future um and when i say future now in the new nhl that could be you know very shortly so uh like i said as excited as we are about this season you know we still got a, a really good group moving forward we wanted to maintain that uh again we've gone through some hardships here and we've done a lot of work to, to build up what we believe can be a sustainable contender year after year um but but to get a player like this in the fold you got to give up some future value and and that was what we had to look at and uh you know that's what took some time to negotiate and work through and i was you know up front with uh, ray uh early on and, and let him know what we were willing to do what we weren't willing to do and and you know again uh able to be opportunistic where there's something that, that made sense for the devils and and made sense for the coyotes and uh we're able to get a player like taylor that you know he's a he's an elite player in the league. So um, yeah, there were certain things we were willing to do, certain things we weren't. We were disciplined to that, and uh, but you know still uh, able to get a deal done. It seems looking from the outside that uh, you know you talked about your base of prospects that you left a little bit of salary salary cap room there after you made the hall trade to leave yourself some some room to do some other things. Was that the was that the thinking behind that? Um, yeah, I think you're always looking for flexibility. You know, uh, no different than uh, the way we structured things. Was extending some of our players early here, and um, you know the way we built out our roster. You know we were opportunistic in case you know there was a player that was a special player that could become available, and and that was you know this instance with Taylor in this scenario. Um, you know moving forward, we still have that flexibility, so you know we're going to continue to to look at everything. Uh, we got Nick Yarmelson coming back. He, he's only played a few games for us this year. Obviously, he's one of the elite defensive defensemen in the, in the league. So, you know, we like to get him back, uh, you know, take stock of things, see where we're at, see how the team gels. But, uh, you know, it's a team that we believe in a lot. Uh, like I said, I think they've got a lot of key components that can 
can go deep in a playoff run. So get them together, and then we'll go from there. Do you envision, John, even with all that said, a time after January 1st where you're going to have a long chat with Taylor and Darren Ferris's agent and see what the future might hold there? I mean, the red carpet's laid out for this guy. You sent the private plane. Billboards are up. Um, clearly, you want to impress him uh, with what you guys have. So is that is that something that you're envisioning at some point in January, maybe February? Yeah, I think uh, 31 teams want to sign a player of Taylor's caliber. I mean, that's that's a no-brainer, I think. Uh, again, he's, he's, he's been top 10 in scoring. He's been an MVP. Um, you know, he's in the prime of his career. He's a he's an athletic specimen. Um, you know, he, he's, uh, he's a guy that's won at all levels. Now he wants to win at the NHL level. So, you know, our, our approach has really just been, uh, of course, we want to sign him. I, I don't know if the process would make sense to just go to him right off the bat and, and start talking. Um, you know, I think it's it's one of those things where it's it's important for his career. Uh, he wants to win. It's important for our organization and what we're about here right now to to get as many wins as possible and move this thing forward. So, you know, in that sense, I think we're going to uh, we are going to wait uh, till the end of the season. Uh, hopefully, it's late. Uh, you know, hopefully, it gets into June. We could talk then. But uh, <laughs> at, at the point we're done playing, you know, we'll sit down and. And, yeah, I think you're always showcasing yourself and what you're about. But, uh, you know, we expect that to be an organic process. We're not looking to go out of our way and do anything that we wouldn't do for anyone else. But uh, I feel like, you know, we got a good group here. Uh, we got a new ownership that's coming in to do things right. Uh, we got a great coaching staff. Uh, we got a good group of teammates, which I think is, uh, you know, the biggest selling point of all. And, uh, yeah, certainly hopeful and, and expecting that Taylor will see it the same way. And then we can have a discussion when we have something to talk about. But, for now, it's you know he's coming in a new situation. He's got to play. He's got to understand what he's dealing with, and then we'll go from there. So unlikely that anything happens during the season is what you're saying. Nothing's happening during the season. We won't. I won't talk contract with him during the year. You you talked about rewarding the fans. I'm curious since you made that trade has there has there been an an interaction or uh, an email or something that that kind of took you by surprise that really hit home how important this was. Yeah, I mean the uh, just just the uh, support. Uh, it's been greater than I could have ever imagined. I think, you know, as a manager, you, you're aware of that. You understand it, especially as we're trying to build, uh, build a brand and build up the game here in the sport or in the state of, uh, Arizona. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, you can't really get yourself too wrapped up in it. It's, it's that's not the reason you make a move, but uh, yeah, we've got support from, you know, the governor of the state and we've gotten support from, uh, Alice Cooper's really excited. He's a big Coyotes fan. So, yeah, I think it's you know everyone's rallying behind it, and uh, I know all of our fans are excited. So um, it's one of those things again where I, I you have some some thoughts or some expectations, and it's you know far far surpassed that. Talking about trades, obviously Taylor's a, a huge addition. A couple of years ago, I, I quietly under the radar added Darcy Kemper. You know, it was uh, for Scott Wedgwood and, and, and Toby Reader. On I looked back, it was February twenty first, twenty eighteen, and now Darcy Kemper is a Vezina a trophy candidate. They has to be considered that with his numbers that he's putting up this season. Did you know that then that he could be a true number one, which is what he really looks like now? Look, he, uh, he certainly has always had the capabilities, uh, but uh, I'd be lying if I said that, you know, that was our base case expectation. Uh, obviously we probably would have traded it a lot more if, uh, if we expected that to happen. So, you know, I don't know how much of it's foresight and how much of it's just, you know, Darcy's evolution as a, as a goalie and a person and, and right timing and, and things like that. But our, our staff does a great job here. I mean, that was a heavily involved quantitative decision. Uh, Brad Rawson runs our analytics department. He was a guy that, uh, 
you know, we knew we had we had Rance who could who could you know steal us games, and it was a, a top goalie himself. But uh, I felt like you know, in order for us to get to where we wanted to go, we needed a one-two punch, and we're lacking that. So we were looking for you know goalies in the market that could potentially you know play some games and and had the upside to be a number one, but but hadn't yet done it. That was that was Darcy, and he identified Darcy as his top target. And uh, you know, we kind of went through our process. Our goalie coaches were involved. And, you know, he comes in here, and, and Corey Schwab is our goalie coach. Uh, you know, since day one, Corey's been here. I think we've been one of the top goalie or uh, save percentage teams, if not the top. And uh, I think it speaks volumes of the work he's done as well. So between him, you know, Darcy's maturation, it's it's uh, it's been impressive to watch. And uh, you know, obviously, he's a huge part of our team, and and deserves all the recognition he's getting. He's he's been phenomenal. John, we, we spend a lot of this podcast when we don't have guests on arguing with each other, and neither one of us are experts. We like to pretend we are. You are an expert. One of the arguments we had before we had you on is is the trade market and what happens now that that first domino fell. Um, do you have a sense of, of where it's going to be? It seems to me that it's locked up a little bit because of you know everybody still being around that playoff line. Do, do you have a sense in the conversations you've had where that market is and, and what might be next? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's one of the things we discussed, obviously, prior to making the trade is, you know, what are the alternatives? And what, how's this market going to shake out? Are prices going to potentially go up or down? What's the supply going to look like? You know, who are going to be the buyers? So, you know, the, the answer is it's it's very tough to, to predict right now. Um, you know, I think we're in a unprecedented uh, waters where uh, just, just the, the amount of teams that are that are tight to the cap uh, or the amount of teams that are spending significant dollars above the cap or uh, you know, like you said, the amount of teams that are that are around a playoff position, it, it, it's tough. Uh, you know, supply and demand can change almost daily based off of how things are going. So, yeah, it's tough to predict. I think, you know, obviously there will be movement. Uh, things will shake loose eventually. When that will happen, I don't know what the prices will be. Still unsure. But, uh, you know, eventually things will kind of shake themselves out here. John, last one for you. And, it's more of a personal question for you because I know when you took over there and the way you started building this team, you took some hits along the way. Uh, too young, too new, too ambitious with the numbers and the analytics, too new school. And it hasn't all worked out yet. You still got half a se- more than half a season to go with this to see where you guys end up. But is there a sense of pride in you right now that you've been able to build and create and add to a team that is in first place as we currently talk? I think there's a sense of pride within the entire organization, you know, and that's what we tried to build here. Like, uh, you know, Steve Sullivan's running the uh, American League team down there in Tucson. They're number one. Uh, you know, he's done a great job developing those guys, and a lot of those guys are coming up and then giving us a boost at the NHL level. You know, Rick Talk, it's a guy, again, talked about doubt. You know, he, he had a rough go in, in Tampa there as a first-time head coach, and, you know, he, now he gets talked about as a Jack Adams candidate, and, again, I think he's – he deserves that. So, um, yeah, I think everyone's taken their hits along the way. Uh, you know, guys have stayed steady. Um, you know, we believe in what we're doing here. Uh, you know, it might not be for everybody, and be, if people have different uh, formulas for what they're trying to do. But, uh, you know, I feel like uh, we're on the, you know, the start of something special here. And, uh, again, you know, this week you had to add a Taylor Hall. We've added, you know, Phil Kessel. We've added some good pieces. And, and like I said, some of the pieces that we've drafted developed are coming along in a really good fashion as well. So, you know, for me it's about – Growing the game here, it's about you know winning hockey. It's about uh, you know a sense of community here out 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 in uh, Arizona, and you know together with Alex Morello and Rick Tockett, we're partners in this endeavor, and uh, you know trying to do the best we can. So you know that's my focus, and like you said, we got half a season to go here still, and hopefully a playoff run and, and uh, a lot of work ahead of us. But 
yeah, right now it's uh, you know feels good to be a Coyote. Well, we'll see where it all goes, and I tell you what, I'm going to fight Sean if he doesn't send me out in April if you guys are in the playoffs. <laughs> I'll be a very popular guy at that point. Uh, I John. bet, I bet. All right, John, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it, man, all right? Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good day. And we thank John for jumping on and joining us on the podcast. Sean, let's bounce around to another story in the league. What do you think? You see what's going on with Nikita Kucherov and John Cooper? Yeah, benched uh, for a big turnover in the game against Ottawa. Bad uh, turnover. Yeah, bad turnover. Yeah. Led to a declare goal that tied the game. Um, sat for part of the second period and all but one shift of the third period when they were looking for a goal to beat a team that they needed to beat. This is not the first place team in the NHL. This is a team that's outside the playoff line right now. They need two points, and there's their best guy sitting at the end of the bench opening and closing the door. Um, but good for John Cooper. This team's needed a wake-up call all year. Uh, if you don't wake up when you look at that guy sitting at the end of the bench just fuming because you know he wants to play, then I don't know that you can wake this team up. Yeah, and we'll see how this goes. It's not going to just be in the next few days. It's going to be the next few weeks to see how this goes with Nikita Kucherov and John Cooper. I don't think Kucherov's one that's going to sulk. I, there's, I haven't met many players who are harder on themselves uh, and, and more of a critic of themselves than Nikita Kucherov. He knows what he did. Like He knows that's not a play he can make, that turnover. But in, in regards to what you said about John Cooper, I, I love it. He's got the hammer, and, and it's in more ways than one. I mean, he's the coach of this team, so he controls your ice time. But he also knows that he's a, if it doesn't work out, if he loses the battle with Nikita Kucherov, it, he's a wanted guy all over the place. I mean, this guy's got the hammer in many areas that if it doesn't work out, if this team falters along the way and, and, and eventually you know, his time in Tampa's done, he's going to get a job in, in a split second. He's, he's, been that, he's that respected now around the league. Yeah, for sure, but let's go back to the immediate issue. That's the clip that he shows to that team and says, this is why we need to change. That's what they've been trying to do yeah. all year. They've been trying to change from the team they were last year to the team he wants them to be this year, which is the team that when they're winning a game, doesn't try have a player go through two players to score another goal to put them up, that dumps that puck in, that they retreat, and they play defense because that's what happened to them against Columbus. Mm -hmm. They need yep. to learn this lesson. And... We're 30 games in, and it's still happening. So the lesson hasn't been learned yet. But if they want to be successful in the playoffs, they need to stop trying to go through players when they have a lead and, and make the safe play as un a part of their DNA as it may be. They need to yeah, do it. they need to start doing it. You know what I immediately thought of, though, when, when he did this with, with Kucherov and the reaction to it was he, he has had battles with Steven Stamkos, too. The, John Cooper does not go after the role player. John Cooper goes after the top player he, on this team. He's an equal opportunity disciplinarian. Disciplinarian, absolutely. And now we've got another team, by the way, that just rolled through our area, another team we expected a lot out of and haven't, hasn't delivered. The Nashville Predators have not delivered on their potential yet, but here they went through our area. They beat the Rangers 5-2 to two at Madison Square Garden. They won 8-3. to three. They scored 8 goals against the New York Islanders. They don't give that up in 3 games. They give it up in 1 at Nassau Coliseum. What do you think of the Predators right now? I, I like what they're doing. We're going to see them again in a little while in the Winter Classic, but uh, their best player drove them right through New York. Uh, Roman Yossi yeah. was ridiculous against the Rangers, and then he might have been even better against the Islanders. Look, I think the Islanders had a bad night. I don't I don't think this Nashville team is an eight-goal-a-game team, but they are far more offensively creative than they've shown so far. Um, you know, and, and I think they've just grown to the point where they're not happy. 
Peter Laviolette hasn't been happy with what they've been doing for a long time. We just talked about Cooper and being a disciplinarian. There's been some of that that's gone on in Nashville, but I think that's a proud room with some really proud players. And I think they're not happy with where they are. And I, I think this trip to the New York was kind of a reflection of that. Yeah, and in talking to some of the players uh, prior to and after the game against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden, a lot of what came up was work ethic. And that, I thought that was very interesting. Like I asked them about the power play and Philip Forsberg was like, we got to work harder on the power play. We're getting outworked by the penalty kills. And they scored two goals on the power play against the Islanders. And, and that's big. I mean, prior to that, in 14 games, they were three for 49 on the power Power play. They were worse in the league on the power play last year. Work ethic was something that came up, and desire, just the you know the investment, was something that Peter Laviolette mentioned. So I think we we're starting to see certainly those two games against the the Rangers and the Islanders. We saw that. We saw work ethic. We saw an investment. You could see how good they can be. Yeah, and let's not forget, this is a team that's done a lot of winning in the last couple of years. They haven't won the ultimate prize, but they've done a lot of regular season winning. And it takes a lot of effort to maintain that level, and and I think you're going to see dips. But uh, again, I just I think that there's so much pride in that room that it didn't matter what Peter Laviolette was saying anymore. It didn't matter. They looked at the standings, they looked at the game film, and they said, "This isn't who yeah. we are." And it doesn't get easier. They got Boston still, Arizona back to back against Pittsburgh, and then they play Dallas in the Winter Classic on January 1st, as you mentioned. But let's move on to our second guest. We got Mike Morial on the line. He covers the Devils for us, covers the World Juniors, the Draft, has his own podcast with Adam Kimmelman, Draft Class. Mike, what's going on? What's going on, Dan? Sean, glad to be on the show. Uh, I, I guess this means I have made it. I've made it to the top. I, I am on this podcast, and I am so happy, so grateful. I'm ready. I know Bob Bender, the producer, is over there in the corner. Probably has the earmuffs on. He's probably chuckling or smirking. He exactly is doing that. He's, you've painted the picture. Yeah, you have painted the picture. And I think you have also elevated our podcast now. If you're oh. saying that you've made it, that means the podcast is bigger than we think it is. Yes. And, ah, and awesome. He's cross uh, He's cross. Uh, podcast platform here. He is. He is. I, I'm actually shocked we were allowed to have you because you have your own podcast. But we can, you know, we can promote yours. Draft class, right? You can yeah, you, absolutely give it a little plug. Absolutely. There it is. <laughs> uh, well, you also, in addition to all the draft stuff, and you're fresh back from Michigan from the U.S. World Junior Camp. You do cover the Devils for NHL.com. Yep. So. Big team, big news this week, obviously, trading Taylor Hall. Where do they go from here, Mike? What's your thought on where the Devils go from here now that the big domino has has gone away, gone to Arizona? Yeah, well, obviously, Dan, it's a, it's a loss. I mean, obviously, fans, I know, you know, Devils fans across the board uh, were upset that nothing could, could be done with, with Taylor Hall. Uh, you know, we expected to have, or I should say the Devils expected to have a, a better season here after all the off-season acquisitions that Ray Shiro uh, made. Um, but it just didn't kind of pan out here in the early stages. And, of course, uh, John Hines fired, and, and now uh, with Taylor Hall gone, the Devils, it's almost like a, a little bit of a reset again here, Dan, I think. And, uh, you know, there's going to have to be some patience uh, obviously, they got three prospects, uh, one of which I think could be very close in Kevin Ball, the defenseman from the Ottawa 67s, um, who's having a, you know, this is his fourth season, so this will be his final uh, kick at the can in the, in the OHL. And, of course, he's with Team Canada now uh, preparing for the World Junior Championship. How, how uh, close, Mike? Uh, how close do you think he is? I mean, that's, uh, that's I, the big guy, yeah. right? He's 6'7", 240 uh, defenseman. They need him. Top defenseman in the OHL, Danny, plays all situations, really developed into a leader, 
over the past two seasons from what I've seen on the blue line, really takes pride in his defense, uh, defensive responsibilities. And, and let's face it, that's, that's not always the case with junior hockey players. Um, you know, they want to score offense. They know that offense is the way to go despite being uh, a pivotal play on the blue line, but that's not Kevin Ball. And what I like about Ball is he has, he has some snarl, Dan. I mean, let's face it, the Devils need some bigger bodies in there. You, you saw what the St. Louis Blues were able to do, even the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yes, it's nice to have those speed, those push guys that can, you know, run the gamut in the offensive zone with spectacular plays, highlight reel maneuvers, but uh, you need big, strong personnel as well. I think Ball, you know, maybe a couple of years down the road, I'm looking here. Give him, a, give him a year in the AHL, a year and a half in the AHL, and I think he'd be ready. I mean, he's very mature in what he does. They match him up against the other team's top lines in Ottawa, uh, and he's capable to contribute offensively uh, in today's game. And what he said, and like you said, 6'6", 229, that's not too shabby, and the Devils need that type of size along the blue line. So, Mike, you can't, uh, you can't call it a reset. Ray, Ray told us that I was out there. <laughs> I was out there the no. day after the trade, and don't call it a reset. He, he thinks or he says that they're better. They're in a better place now than they were five years ago. They're in a better place now than they were three years ago. I'm not sure I believe that because three years ago they had Taylor Hall on the verge of mm-hmm. being a, a MVP of the league, um, and they don't have anything close to that now. But do you believe where they are now after this trade that? Next year, they'll be in a better place than they were this year or, or last year. Yeah, you know, it's a start off, Sean. I, I will say this, that if you're looking for a silver lining, I think Hall's departure means that's one less player the Devils have to protect in the upcoming expansion draft for Seattle. So, <laughs> you know, names of note that are exempt, obviously Hughes, Gusev, Boquist, you know, Ball, of course, Fabian Zetterlin, Ty Smith, and, and that 21-year-old Ford they have, uh, that Russian Mikhail Maltsov. So, um, that's one silver lining. Now, other players are going to have to step up here, right? I mean, it looks like you know maybe Michael McLeod will be given another shot at some point with, with Hall's departure. But uh, players on the roster, you know, you look at a Pavel Zatka, you look at a Jesper Boquist, uh, Jesper Bratt, Gusev, uh, Hughes, Heischer. I mean, these guys now have to step it up. And, you know, I... I, I, I heard the, the, the uh, conference that Ray had there, Sean, and, and you know... Ray has to say what he has to say to get the, get the best out of the fans and make sure, uh, you know, they know what's coming you know, down the road in the future here for the team. But um, I do think it's a, just a, a tad bit of a reset here for the Devils after losing a Terrell Hall. You don't just, you know, lose a Terrell Hall and expect to, to be an immediate playoff contender again. Things are going to have to roll a little slowly. But I will say this, um, you know, these, these new players that have, that uh, they, they added on the roster here with a with a Nick Merkley uh, and a Nate Schnarr. Uh, uh, these players are eventually two three years down the road are going to play pivotal roles uh, w- with the young kids that they have on this in this lineup, and particularly uh, a Nico Heischer uh, and a Jack Hughes. Uh, you know they're going to need these players, these, these feisty players, these guys that are hard nosed. Merkley is that type of player. Schnarr is that type of player. They play with some aggression. Uh, some truculence, they always say. But that's um, why it's a reset, yeah, right, uh, Mike? And that, that's <laughs> why it's a reset, exactly what you just said. <laughs> These guys are not ready yet to reset. So, so what does Ray do next? Does he just move his unrestricted? Continues to reset. Does he just move his? <laughs> does he just move his unrestricted? Right? Does he try and move Vant, Vatanen, and Simmons? I don't know if there's a market for Andy Green. Um, 
or do the Devils have to make a big move here? Do they have to move a piece that they have that's under contract to get some NHL-ready players, a two-for-one, a three-for-one? Do you move a Palmieri and see what you can get for him? Do you, do you move a guy like that and, and see if you can accelerate things now? Or do you, I don't know that you know if they just move their two unrestricted free agents that they can probably move for draft picks that they're accelerating this at all. And as much as we talk about the future, the Devils have two picks in the first three rounds next year. So I, and they're both first round picks. They're but both still, first round picks. Yeah. They, they got two picks in the first ninety three. But you'd rather have two first round picks than three one in one in the first one in the second one in the third. I don't know about that. Uh, you think, got a better yeah. chance. You got a better chance of hitting in the second or the third round with extra That's picks. That's true. That's true. And the, Devils, the Devils have done that too, Sean. They, they've proven that in the past. You know, in these last couple of years, um, with Paul Castron, you know, working the gamut there with with the draft, and um, it, it is. And Shiro has always said, right, guys. Shiro has always said that it's about you know draft picks and cap space. If you have those things, you have quality assets, and you're you're capable of maybe making some moves uh, at the draft. So um, while first round picks are nice. Uh, let's face it. I mean, a lot of uh, you know, you look at some of the players in today's today's game. Those late first rounders and, and even those second, third rounders are playing key roles too. You know, we can talk all we want about Ray. I don't think you can judge Ray and what he's done fully until he gets a goaltender, right? That's been the Devils' biggest problem. His goaltending hasn't worked out. He's got a rookie now in Mackenzie Blackwood trying to hold down the fort. But we're going to pivot here to World Juniors, and the way we're going to do that is we're going to start with a Devils player. Uh, off the air last week, Dan and I had a little argument walking out of here. We were talking about players that could be loaned to the various national teams, and I said that Jack Hughes should be loaned to the U.S. team for the duration of the, of the World Junior Championships. Dan thought it was a preposterous idea. And I called Sean crazy. Yes. And the reason I think is because, look, let's face it, Jack hasn't played as well as they would want him to play. He's kind of getting his teeth handed to him every day, being the number one center on this team and facing huge matchups. You send him to the Czech Republic for two weeks on a very loaded U.S. team, get his confidence back and let him come back here and and be closer to the player that everybody thought he could be. Um, What's your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts are that I think the Devils made the right decision. So I guess I'm agreeing with Dan Rosen, which yes. is a shocker to me. Yes. Oh, Holy man. Smoke. Yes. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Mike, you can come back on this podcast anytime. <laughs> but the thing is, and while that, I mean, that was a, a huge discussion, Sean, I just think as though, you know, Hughes, Jack right now, and yes, the, the Devils are in that struggling mode. Um, but Jack is playing, you know, still playing good minutes for the Devils. Uh, he's learning the ropes as a rookie. He's made some errors. The games haven't been that consistent for him, but he's gaining that consistency. I, I can see that in his game. The points might not be there, but he is gaining traction in the league. You can see it. You can see and, 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 you know, when I watched him at the NTTP last year, it was flawless. Everything was seamless with Jack and what he did, how he skated. Um, how he attacked the net, how he looked for teammates. It was seamless. It was, it was almost as though he – and he wasn't. He wasn't thinking about what he needed to do next. And I've got to say, in the last five, six, seven games, you know, a week and a half, two weeks, when I watch Jack play, he's in that mode. He, he, he's in that mode. And I would hate for the Devils to, you know, loan him out to the U.S. program, um, you know, two weeks, going to the Czech Republic overseas. There's always that – you know, the idea in the back of your head immediately when you hear that, oh, gosh, I hope he doesn't get injured 
because that would be a real setback. And you got to know, Sean, that teams are going to be gunning for Jack Hughes if he goes overseas because, let's face it, I mean, there are some top-quality prospects on all these clubs. There are some guys that are going to be drafted in 2020 that maybe want to, you know, say, hey, you know, Jack Hughes is out here. I'm going to lay a big hit into him, particularly some of these big defensemen. That nobody's going to hit him. Nobody's going to hit him harder than the guys in the NHL. You send him over. You let him get better for two weeks. He misses four games at the most, and he comes back full of confidence. He, he's a National Hockey League player. There's he's a lot a, of National Hockey League players yeah, that are going over. He's not a junior hockey player. He plays 16 but, right, minutes a night right. in the National Hockey League. Jack Hughes does not want to go to the World Juniors. He's in he's, the he, NHL. Yeah. He's, right. uh, you know, again, too, like, eight, he's 18 years old. He's trying to learn the ropes here. And he did say to me, Sean, when I asked him flat out, um, would going to the World Juniors interest you at all? Do you have, you know, I asked that, do you have, uh, you know, is there something back there that why you want to go back since you were injured in last year's tournament? You only played in three, four games. Just kind of a redemption thing to go back, be a leader, be a captain you know, lead a team, he's like, well, he goes, that's nice. He goes, I enjoyed World Juniors. He said, but I'm here with the Devils, and, you know, I want to help the Devils get over this hump, uh, get over this streak. And I just think sending him off two weeks, a teenage player like that, when he comes back, now, you never know if they're going to win a gold medal, uh, you know, or medal at all, uh, but when he comes back, uh, maybe he wouldn't have. It would almost be like a redo, a reset for him, since since uh, you know you're playing against bigger, better competition in the NHL. And I just think right now he's on that he's on that level of field where he's kind of feeling it and knowing what he needs to do to be successful down you know the rest of the stretch here. Last one for you, Mike. Along the lines of loaning players, Oliver Wallstrom does get loaned to Team USA mm. for the World Juniors from the Islanders. It's a different situation, obviously, than Jack Hughes. Uh, how does that impact Team USA's chances? And just quick, uh, you know, quick answer: What are Team USA's chances versus what are Team Canada's chances in this upcoming tournament that start next, starts next week? Yeah, well, the U.S. is going to go for a fifth straight medal, uh, Dan, which is uh, you know the longest in their history at the World Juniors. Uh, it's the longest stretch for any team right now, um, and I think the U.S. has a great, great opportunity here, a great chance to even win a gold medal. Um, you know, they're fast, they're creative on offense. They've got a lot of players from last year's U18 National Team Development Program, the Cole Caulfields, uh, you know, the Alex Turcotts, uh, the uh, Trevor Zegerses uh, are on this team. They're going to be a part of the team. you got probably the best gold goaltender of the tournament, Florida Panthers prospect Spencer Knight, who's now in Boston College and lighting it up there, but he's with that club. So six returning players. Uh, from last year's team uh, on this club, I, I, I like what this what the United States has to offer. And as as far as Canada goes, um, you know, a lot of draft eligible players on this club this year, guys. With Alexis Lafreniere, who quite possibly could go number one in the 2020 draft at Bell Center in Montreal. You know, you got the big uh, the forward in Quinton Byfield uh, from Sudbury in the Ontario Hockey League. I really like the size of this kid. And the way he skates is unbelievable. Kind of a Ryan Getzloff uh, type of player. He's, I, I guarantee he's going to be part of this roster. Uh, Jamie Drysdale, the defenseman from Erie, has really looked good uh, in, in select camp for the Canadians. But, you know, they also have a, a lot of good returning first-round picks. Uh, and I like the fact that Arizona loaned out Barrett Hayton. Guys, uh, obviously 
uh, selected by the Coyotes, number five in the 2018 draft. Big, strong centerman. Can get it done. Joe Valino, we know, is going over. He was recently released. Uh, and and I, I would think that Valino is going to center Alexis Lafreniere. And that was an exceptional line when those two were together um, at the World Junior Summer Showcase in August for Canada. So I would anticipate those two being together. And let's not forget, and I'm really looking forward to seeing defenseman Bowen Byram, guys. Look at all these prospects at the Colorado Avalanche have. You look at Akil McCarr, he's lighting it up right now. Could be rookie of the year. Uh, you know, on defense, and now you get a Bowen Byron when they drafted number four in the 2019 draft. The Avalanche did. He's going to be a big part of that uh, that Canada team, and I'm looking forward to watching him as well. All right, Mike, you've you've laid out the players that we're going to watch, but here's the last thing we need to know, and we're going to let you go. I'm going to put you on the start right spot right now. Who finishes higher, Canada or the U.S.? I'm going to say the United States. All right, All right we're, we're done. done. And the reason it's simple, guys, it's goaltending. <laughs> okay, goaltending. We're done. There's your answer. Nobody knows it better. Mike, thanks so much for joining us, all right? Thanks a lot, Dan and Sean. Have a great evening, guys. You can follow Mike on Twitter, at Mike Morial NHL, and he and Adam Kilmerman will be covering the World Junior Championships for us at NHL.com. The U.S.-Canada game kicks it off December 26th. That will be on the NHL Network. All U.S. games will be on the NHL Network and other select games as well. And the tournament runs through January 5th. Sean, that's the World Junior News. Andre Svechnikov, lacrosse-style goal. He did it again. That boy's got some confidence, I'll Ooh, tell you boy. that. And this one was nicer than the other one. This one wasn't uh, force it. This was scoop it and shoot it. You know, I'm really looking forward to Kevin Kevin Woodley, who does some goalie stuff for us, does a weekly goalie column called Unmasked. Talk to some goalies in the wake of this. They have to start preparing for this. And, and how do they do that? This is like chess. Now the goalies are going to prepare for it. Now he can fake it and do something else. He's already tried that once. The possibilities are limitless. Well, there's a couple of things about this one that I loved. He did it in the 6-3 win against the Winnipeg Jets. And look, Connor Hellhook looked like he had it. Like he looked like he knew it was coming. You could see he flails the elbow out and gets the shoulder, the right shoulder up, and Svechnikov still is able to tuck it in to the top left corner there. John Forslund, by the way, from Carolina, had the call. An amazing call. He called the cross style move as he was doing it. Like that's a good broadcaster right there. And Trip Tracy, I loved what he said on the broadcast too. Says it's gone international because the first time he did it at home, now he's done it in Canada, so it's international. And I talked to Svechnikov after he did the first one against Calgary. And you said the word confidence. He used that word confident or confidence, a variation of it, eight times in a four-minute interview. It's one of the words he's obviously comfortable using, but man, does this guy have it. He, it's tremendous to see the skill he's got and, and the willingness to make a move like that. So I love seeing that move from him. And you know what was even better? What? was the pass he made to Ajo when he scored the hat trick, the no-look across yeah. the seam. Oh. So it's confidence in everything he does. And, oh, by the way, he's got 35 points in 34 games as record this to lead the Carolina Hurricanes. Another team that's gone well, St. Louis Blues, fourth-fastest cup champion to 50 points, and the other four were pretty good, too. They made it at least to the conference final. Yeah, to Edmonton twice in their dynasty. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings when they lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins in a Game 7, and Chicago when they lost to the Kings in the Western Conference Final in that epic series. So, you know, people worried about the Blues, I think, coming into this year. Were they a one-half team that got hot, or are they a really good team? I think even without Tarasenko, that they're a better team than they were last year because of the way some guys are playing and the fact that they have two goaltenders now. They don't have to ride Bennington like they did last year into oblivion. They, they can play Jake Allen, and he's winning some games for them. So I think they're an even more dangerous team this year than they were last year. And they're going to get more dangerous because Tarasenko is going to come back for the playoffs, and that's gonna, what a lift that's going to be.
Yeah. So watch out for the Blues. A couple of other news and notes in the league. Not the best news at all. Some sad news around the league. Oscar Lindblom diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, the Philadelphia Flyers forward. Young player up and coming. He now has to deal with this form of bone cancer. And Chris Snow, who, Sean, you knew or know, he was a former intern uh, with us at NHL.com. The Calgary Flames assistant general manager is just devastating news, diagnosed with ALS. Yeah, uh, awful. Uh, Chris was here a long time ago at the very start of his career, which took off from there. You know, he's done so much. He covered baseball for a while for the Globe, then got back into hockey with the Wild, and now with Calgary, and he's one of the really important people in their front office. But the one thing, they wrote a letter, um, you know, kind of outlining Chris's fight, and the one thing his wife said was, you know, Chris always finds a way to get things done, and that's been true since I've known him from the very beginning. I, I mean, just rapidly ascended through this whole business. So, you know, we, we all obviously joined both of those young men in their fights um, and, and, you know, hope for the best, and, and the whole hockey world is, is pulling for them. Absolutely. 100%. What she wrote, what uh, his wife wrote, someone has to be the first person to live with ALS rather than die from it. And, God, I hope it's Chris. Me too. I wouldn't bet against them either. That's it. So, And you can make donations in Chris's name to uh, the ALS Foundation. You go to the website. Uh, it's at the University of Miami, uom.convio.net slash go to slash Chris Snow. So you can make a donation there to support him and his fight. And that'll do it for us on this weekly podcast. But we will take a break. The games take a break. We'll take a break next week for the holiday break. So everybody enjoy their holidays. Sean, enjoy yours. Hope everything's good. Yeah, hopefully. And we'll uh, we'll reconvene at the Winter Classic uh, at the end of the year, the annual New Year's game. And uh, that should be a beauty. Looking forward to it. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they get the Cotton Bowl all decked out. For, uh, to, to ring in the new year with the Dallas Stars and the Nashville Predators. But until then, enjoy the games.